we're here in the middle of our series, Relationship Goals. I hope you have some goals. Uh, you know, many of you have financial goals, things you want to meet. You, you, maybe you have uh, uh, tax goals. You want to give out a certain amount to deduct the maximum you can. Maybe you have savings goals. Maybe you have goals with your children. Goals for retirement, travel goals. But I hope more than any of that, I hope you get some relationship goals because your relationships that you have with with other people, including your spouse, are so important. Um, You see, there's a lot of people that have some relationship goals because they saw some photos of relationships that people had uh, that, that, you know, they, they put these photos of their relationship and they put them online. And then they see it and they go, ooh, I want that. That's what I want. That's, that's the relationship kind of a goal that I have. I got a couple of those. I'll, I'll just show you a couple. These are some relationship goals that some people have. Oh, I, I don't know how that one got on there. This was uh, after last week, Joe and Christina England put up some relationship photos. So they'll come, they'll be here in the next service. But okay, this is the one. This is the one. Yeah, oh, yeah, right? Like, this is a relationship. I don't, I don't get this one. Like, never have I just been driving down the road and then thinking, honey, let's just pull over, open up the hatchback, put up some Christmas lights and make out in the back. That's never crossed my mind. Except now that I say it out loud, it doesn't sound like that bad of an idea. I've, I've got a hatchback. You get some Christmas lights, honey. Um, Here's another relationship goal that, that people say, I want this in my relationship. This. This is just stupid. This is. You don't want this. This is not a goal that you should actually have for your relationship. Why? Because cats are dumb. Cats are stupid. If you don't believe me, if you, yeah, somebody cheered me on. Don't throw tomatoes. If you don't believe me, this next photo will prove it. A cat will always get between you and your spouse. See, it's, I know it because I found it on the internet. It's, it's got to be real. I hope you have some relationship goals for uh, for your marriage, for your relationship. Uh, and if you aren't married yet, uh, or if you have any plans to be married, uh, let me tell you, don't tune out. Don't tune out. My wife and I have a great marriage today because we both took good notes whenever somebody else talked about it. Uh, and there are some spiritual truths that apply to all of us, married and not married. And that's what uh, we're talking about in this series. If you want a normal marriage, go do whatever you want. That's what normal marriage is. Whatever you feel like. But I don't want normal. Because normal in our, our world is abused, not heard, Hurt, afraid, insecure. That's normal. I don't want normal. I want godly. I want to have a godly marriage. And if you want a godly marriage, then you need godly relationship goals. And that's what this series about is about. I have four godly relationship goals that I'm sharing to help with your current or future marriage be all that God wants it to be. Notice I didn't say all that you want it to be. Right? Because a godly marriage is not what you want it to be. It's what God wants it to be. we got to submit to what God says. So uh, here are the four goals. We're going to practice them again. Here are the four goals that we can have. The first is that we are Christ-centered. Right? Get this in your head because I'm going to test you here in just a second. We are Christ-centered. We are mission-driven. That's another relationship goal. We are devil-kicking. And we are covenant-keeping. 
were Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping. Can you say it with me? We are Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping. One more time. I'm not going to give you the answer this time. We are. We are. We are. We are. Yeah, you're getting it. That's good. We got two more weeks to keep practicing. You'll get it. You'll get it. Today I'm talking about this one. We are mission driven. We are mission driven. Many people get married because they think that marriage is going to help them, you know, be happy. That's the reason to get married. So I could be happy. I'm just going to tell you, that's a really terrible reason to get married. Because if you think marriage is supposed to make you happy, you're going to be really disillusioned. Because, because happiness is determined by what happens. And there's some, there's some lousy things that happen sometimes. And so when something lousy happens, I'm not happy. So it must be time to get divorced. No, that's not how it works. Marriage is not, a godly marriage is not based on what your happiness. It's based on unity. Going in the same direction at the same time. Let me show you this in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. The very first marriage that, that there was. Goes like this. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God blessed this marriage. And he said to them, It doesn't really matter what you do now. Whatever you feel like doing, I, you know, I made you. Now it's your world. Figure it out. That's not what he said. No, he, he God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. When God instituted marriage, the very first thing he told them was, hey, you two, you got a mission. You've got a mission. Your marriage has a mission. There is something for you to do. This matters. This matters. The idea that, that we were created, husband and wife, to be on a mission for Jesus, to accomplish something for him, that matters. That was the first thing God told, uh, God told the people that he made. And the very last thing Jesus said before he left was, you got a mission. You've got a mission. This is good preaching. Someone should get excited. Thank you. <laughs> marriage isn't about happiness. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you could be happy. He died on the cross so you can live on purpose. Thank you. The Bible describes the marriage that God wants us to have with the word unity. He wants a marriage to be united. In Genesis 2, 24, the Bible tells us, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So the idea is that we should be united in one direction. We're going the same spot. We have a mission. We're united. Husband and wife are united together. This is what God wants us to do, but don't let your guard down. Because, you see, what God seeks to unite, the devil seeks to divide. The devil always wants to bring division. The perfect marriage fallen to sin looks like this. In the beginning, in Genesis there was the perfect marriage, Adam and Eve. The perfect marriage in the perfect place. They were naked and in paradise. Everything was awesome. Everything was together. And then along comes the serpent. 
And he doesn't talk to Adam and Eve. He talks to Eve. See, what God seeks to unite, the devil seeks to divide. And so he got just with Eve. And he said, hey, Eve. And this is how he's still doing it today. Did God really say? He makes you question what God, he makes you question God's word. Is it true or not? Did God really, is that really what the Bible says? So he made Eve question what God said. Did, did God really say you're gonna die? And then he brought out something that was very appealing. And this is still how, this is still Satan's trick. It's still working. He brings something really enticing, really, it was beautiful to the eye. And Eve was like, oh, I need to eat the fruit of this. This is what I need to eat. And she grabbed it and she ate it. And then she passed it to Adam. And they didn't fight together. And Adam took the the fruit and he ate it. It had to be a tomato. I'm sure it wasn't an apple. It was a tomato. (laughs) I don't like tomatoes. I I know tomatoes are, you know, from the devil, so. (laughs) Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're allowed to like tomatoes. I'll go on record. Don't make me eat them. Uh, So so Adam ate ate the tomato or the the fruit. And, and, uh, And then... They were ashamed. Shame entered in. That's what happens when there's division in your marriage. You're going to start to have shame. And then the blame game starts. God came in on the scene and said, hey, guys, what happened? And he looked at Adam and Adam starts blaming. And he said, well, God, you gave me that woman. (laughs) And so all the eyes went to Eve. And Eve said, well, the serpent gave it to me and said I should. And all eyes went to the serpent, and he didn't have a leg to stand on. Oh, come on, that was funny, and you know it. See, Adam and Eve were supposed to be united. They were supposed to fight the devil together. They were supposed to to be united, going in the same direction. But the devil got them to see their marriage as, as different, as isolated from each other. And so the devil was able to attack better that way. Jesus says it like this. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And a house divided against itself will fail. We need unity in our marriage. Oneness. If marriage is unity and if you're divided, it'll, it'll fail. Amos asked a really great question. I think it's a good question. Amos 3.3. 3. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Of course not. You're just going to... Like you want to take a walk, you go to Butler, I go to Auburn. Like it's not going to work. We're not going to walk together unless we agree that we're both going in the same direction. So if you're married to somebody, you've got to make sure that you're going in the right direction, the same direction. Let's be united in our, in our marriages. We can't get somewhere or please God in our marriage without a unified perspective of vision. We need to know where we're going. You've probably heard this verse a thousand times from the King James Version. Where there is no vision, people perish. The message says it like this. The message paraphrase says, if people can't see what God's doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. And I think this applies to marriages. If, if we see what God wants to do with our marriage, if we see that our marriage exists to be a blessing to the world around us, we won't be stumbling all over ourselves. We won't be stumbling into fights constantly. And we're going to be most blessed to attend to what God reveals. But if you're mission-driven, you'll accomplish more together than you ever will on your own. I really believe it's a tragedy when two people are together, but, you know, not united. 
That's always sad. We can get united. So some of you, I think, are trying to make it look a little bit more like this. I'm me. He's him. She's her. I have all the things I want to do. She has all the things. Yeah, we're going to be at home together at night. Yeah, you know, it's my roommate, right? I'm just married to my room. But remember this. Remember this. There is um, there's isolation and there's unity. These things are always working in opposition to each other. Unity and isolation. And you're always moving towards one or the other. And if you don't know which way you're moving, you're moving towards isolation. It's default. It's default. The default position is that you're going to want to move towards isolation and not being willing to share with your spouse or trust your spouse. There's isolation, and that's isolation. No, no, Pastor Adam, that's independence. That, yeah, right, that's what the serpent said too. That's isolation. But what we need is to be mission-driven, one vision. Every marriage needs one vision. It doesn't mean you have to do all the same stuff. It doesn't mean you have to do all the same stuff. I'll get to that in a minute. But our hearts need to be united with our spouse going in one direction. No marriage is ever static. You're moving one way or the other. To get better at that, to bring things back to one, here's the greatest tip I could give you. Communication. Communication is key to unity. It is a key. We're always going to drift away from oneness into the idea of isolation. It's always going to happen. Just because of our sinful nature, it kind of rolls that way. And to work our way towards oneness and unity again, it requires self-revelation. Here's, here's my heart. Here's my own thoughts. It requires us to share. It requires the other person to hear. That's how communication works. There's a sender of a message and there's, there's a receiver of the message, right? We need both of those things. And this is really, really hard for some of us because we've learned really terrible communication things from, uh, maybe from our parents, maybe because of our sin, maybe because of, uh, uh, the models we've had or the way we were raised or baggage of an abuse. We're left just being really terrible communicators in a lot of ways. Uh, communication is just a, a prime thing that keeps popping up in marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage. It's always been that way. It's just keep, two people have a hard time having the same vision. And I think communication is key. Maybe you have some of these really bad communication tactics in your, in your brain. It's just kind of stuck in your head. There, there's a few really bad communication habits. Maybe you're the stuffer. Stuff all your feelings down. You don't talk about it. And then when you finally let it out, blah! The other person had it coming for a few weeks. That's not a good way to do it. Or the kind of the opposite of that might be the shouter or the interrupter. That's a bad communication technique. Or maybe you're the rambler. Or you're perhaps married to the rambler. Or the arguer. These are bad communication models that a lot of us have just because we've grown up that way or because we've seen it or because of our own wounds in our heart that we haven't allowed God to heal. And my wife and I, we're not perfect on this either. In fact, earlier this week, she told me that I need to listen to everything she told me so I can remember everything she can't. That actually happened this week. 
And so my wife has communicated things to me. I know the importance of, of listening. And uh, when my wife was pregnant, she would she communicated a few things to me. And and I kept record. Because they were funny. I thought, I'm never going to forget this. My wife actually communicated a few things to me. I'm going to share them to you. Things my wife said to me while pregnant. Don't touch the pregnant lady's food. That's something she said. <laughs> Lena doesn't share food, I learned. I don't remember what I said to instigate this, but her response to me was, when you're pregnant, you can have a comment. <laughs> See, I listened. I, she communicated and I listened. And uh, in her pregnancies, she was very sensitive to smells. And uh, so one of the things she said to me very lovingly, filled with compassion and a heartfelt you know, just love for her husband. Don't breathe on me. It might make me sick. <laughs> Thanks, honey. And this one, this one came because she really tried. She really tried to be heartfelt and, and loving towards me. Honey, I try to love you, but your smell is more than I can handle right now. <laughs> I, I listened, dear. I listened. Anybody have some communication problems in your marriage? You don't have to raise your head. I know you do. I know you do. But the Bible has some things to say about communication. And remember, communication is both telling and it's, it's listening. That's what the Bible talks about. If we can, I want to show you a couple of things that the Bible says. Uh, James chapter 1 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to get angry. So here we see that communication involves listening and speaking. And there's a way that we should be doing that. Um, uh, and then when it comes to the idea of listening, this verse I think is really pertinent. A person's thoughts are like water in a well. But someone with insight can draw them out. See, if I'm a listener, I need to remember that when my wife is talking, when she's sharing something, her words are like water in a deep well. That's good water. That's more pure water. Her words are valuable to me. And if I have insight, I'll draw them out. There's an art to listening. And so we should be, listening is more important than, than speaking, I think, perhaps, for a lot of us. So I want to share a few listening tips. This is some listening tips for us. Here's the first one. Number one, put your phone down. Put your phone down. If you're, if your job is to listen, your spouse is communicating to you, put your phone down. Now, maybe that you could translate that into your own life. Stop the jigsaw puzzle. Turn the TV off. Close your laptop. Put your book down. Whatever it means. The, the fact of the matter might be that you're capable of listening and scrolling on your phone at the same time. Maybe that's possible. But the important piece of listening is that the other person that you love feels like they're being heard. So even if you're able to do it, which... Meh, I call foul. Even if you think you're able to do it, don't. Put your phone down. Put it away. That's a good listening tip. Here's listening tip number two. Don't try to fix them. Guys. It's a man thing, right? Sometimes it's a girl thing, but it's, it's, it's a common man problem. Yeah, I see some people elbowing each other. When you're listening, when you're listening, your job is to listen. The words of your spouse are like a deep well, water from a deep well, and it's those with insight that can draw them out. So listen. 
You don't need to fix the problem yet. Just listen. Here's listening tip number three. Aim to understand, not stand your ground. A lot of times when we're like, oh, I'm listening. No, you're not. You're waiting for your turn to get your zinger in. The goal is not to win. The goal is to listen, to realize more about your spouse, because that's how we can come into oneness. That's how we can have unity. Listening tip number four, never write a story that does not belong to you. Never write a story that doesn't belong to you. We do this a lot, don't we? Uh, you know, one of the ways that we communicate is with words. Another way we communicate is with our face. And I've learned to not write a story about uh, what a face is saying. Here's an example. If I'm listening to a rock song and the lead guitarist does this, like he bends the note, I might make a funny face a little bit like this. Which is also exactly the same face I make if you eat Taco Bell and a few hours later I smell you. So what's that look mean? Does it mean, ooh, that's good, or woo, baby, that's not good? What's it mean? You don't get to write a story about the look in your spouse's eyes. If you don't know what that face meant, if you don't know what they meant, ask them. When you made that face, uh, it, it kind of looked to me like, like you hated me. Uh, but I don't want to assume that. Is that true? How should I interpret that face you just made? I say that. Keep that in your back pocket. It'll help you in a lot of, a lot of things. Um, number five listening tip is ask for clarity. Once you've listened, you can say, are you saying that this? I kind of just uh, mentioned that already. And then here's some sharing tips. I have five sharing tips for you as well. The Bible's pretty clear on this. Those who are careful about what they keep, I'm sorry, those who are careful about what they say keep themselves out of trouble. Some of you know that this is true. If you're not careful about what you say, trouble going to come. Uh, it's in Proverbs. So here's some listening, I'm sorry, sharing tips. Number one, you can't unsay something. Once you've said it, it's out. So be careful about what you're saying. Be careful about what you say. Think it through before you talk. Number two, sharing tip, timing matters. If this needs elaboration, I'm not sure I can help you. Pretty it matters. Pick your pick your time right. Number three, share your insides. See, some of us have the problem of sharing, and we're yelling, we're interrupting, we talk too much, we need, and we need to shut our mouths more. But others of us, it's probably the other one you're married to. The others of us don't share enough. We keep all the communication on the surface level, but that doesn't bring about oneness or unity with our spouse. What will bring oneness and unity with our spouse is when we're actually vulnerable and we're open and we share our insides here. It's my guts on the table. It's important if you want unity. Uh, sharing tip number four, anger is not your friend. Anger will betray your vulnerability every time. Um, tip number five, ask them what they heard. Once you think you've communicated something, Face it, we're not all that great about communicating. The deal about communication is that we're communicating to another person. So, like, did they catch it? Did they understand it? You don't know unless you confirm sometimes. So ask them what they heard is really helpful. When you do this, it will help you move from isolation and division to unity. Your marriage will be mission-driven when you use these tips and tricks. Communication is key to a marriage. We need to strive towards oneness and unity with our spouse. And that unity really comes with a purpose. 
It really does. I can say it like this. Why should someone get married? It's not to be happy, because to be happy, it depends on what's happening right now. Why should someone get married? I think a biblical reason to get married is because you can accomplish more together than you could on your own. Or as I'm going to say it today, make out to face out. Does he, did he really put make out? Yes. Does he mean that kind of yes? Make out to face out. Let me explain it. Let me unpack it a little bit. At the end of a marriage, the typical, the typical wedding has two parts at the end. First, at the end, there's a, you may now kiss the bride. I'm calling that the make out, okay? You, you may now kiss the bride. And so you come together. And right after that, the preacher says, he kind of does this and then they face out to everybody else. And he says, I now present to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Who's he presenting? Who's he presenting Mr. and Mrs. to? To the world. We make out to face out to the world. And when we face out to the world, we're a witness of God's testimony. We're a witness of God's covenant with his people. We have a mission to accomplish in the world around us. You make out to face out. We can do more together than we could on our own. There's a lot of married couples mentioned in the Bible. There's Adam and Eve. There's Abraham and Sarah. There's Isaac and Rebecca. There's Solomon and hundreds. Can you Poor Solomon, man. He would come home every day. Can you imagine how many people were mad at him when he got home? Woo! Poor guy. But in all of these cases, there was, there, like, there were stories about Abraham and, like, and Sarah. They were mentioned separately at times. But there's one couple in the Bible, only one couple in the Bible that was, um, that was only ever mentioned as a couple. You don't see one name without the other. They're always a couple in the Bible. And that was Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila. They're mentioned about a half dozen times in the New Testament. And this couple was Christ-centered and very much mission-driven. They accomplished more together than they ever could have on their own. Romans talks about them. Uh, Paul wrote, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. This couple was a powerhouse. They made out and then they faced out. They, they went to the world because God had a mission for them. They were, um, we find out from other passages that they were tent makers, just like Paul. They supported Paul's ministry. They risked their lives for Paul. And apparently, a lot of Gentiles, a lot of people, they risked their lives for them. They led a small group in their house. Did you see that? They led a small group at their church. They went on mission trips together with Paul. And they corrected doctrine together when somebody was teaching a little bit goofy. This was a powerful couple in the New Testament. And they got their names mentioned a couple times in different books. They were a a major uh, driving force in the early church. Why were they so powerful in the kingdom of God? Because they were Christ-centered and mission-driven. They understood these goals. We are mission-driven. Let me talk to the singles for a minute. I already told you last week, if you want to live a Christ-centered marriage later, you need to live a Christ-centered life today. Similarly, if you're hearing me talk and you're single and you're like, that would be great someday to have a mission-driven marriage. That would be great. Okay, where it starts is right now. Right now, start living a mission-driven life. You don't, uh, you, you don't live, you don't build a, a future of righteousness on a foundation of sin today. 
Your greatest goal is not marriage. Your greatest goal is serving Jesus with all that you have inside of you. And if God gives you a spouse, praise the Lord for him. But you don't need a spouse to serve the Lord. Jesus completes you. One is a whole number. Jesus did all right in the world without having a spouse. You don't need your spouse to complete you. There's some married people that need to hear that too. They're still waiting for their spouse to complete them. But Jesus does that. That's Jesus' job to complete you. He is all that you need. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life, the Bible says. So uh, we do things better together than we ever could on our own. But you don't need your spouse or a spouse to be able to begin serving God. Just start. I know a guy who was raised as a good Christian kid. And then as he got older, he went astray. He got into alcohol and then much harder drugs. And accompanying with that was sleeping with anybody he wanted to. And then one day, he met a babe. And he went to his mom and said, Mom, I met the girl that I think I'm going to marry. She's perfect. She's beautiful. She's smart. She goes to church. She's serving every week at church. That's the kind of girl that I've always dreamed I'd be married to. And the mom lovingly said back, Son, a girl like that isn't looking for a guy living like you are. You don't build a future of righteousness on a foundation of sin today. I love it the way Andy Stanley says it. Become the person that you're looking for is looking for. So here's my advice. If you're single and, and you would like to explore if God would like to change that, here's what you do. You start serving now. Live a life that is mission-driven. And then when you're doing what God wants you to do because Christ completes you, just look around and just be like, is there, is there anybody remotely attractive serving Jesus? And when the answer is yeah, just do a little. <laughs> and start serving Jesus next to him. Just start serving the Lord. And then next thing you know, they're gonna, you're gonna sign up for the Wednesday night kids program. And then they're gonna sign up for choir. And then they're gonna do the bike club with you. This is my story right now. They're gonna serve everywhere that you're serving. And then all you gotta do is grab her hand and say, hey baby, you wanna, you wanna change the world together? We're already serving Jesus together. And then she'll say, yeah. <laughs> That's my tip. That's my advice. Just start serving Jesus. We have goals. What are they? I want you to say them out. We are Christ-centered. We are we are devil-kicking. We are covenant-keeping. Yes, we are. Your marriage has a mission. What is your marriage's together mission? You have a together mission in your marriage. What is it? Does it mean that you serve in the nursery together each Sunday? Maybe. Maybe, but I would hope it means a lot more than that. Because you see, God didn't bring you together for Sunday morning. He brought you together for life. You have a whole lot of other days that you could be serving and doing something in the kingdom of God. Your marriage has a purpose, a together purpose. Is your, is your marriage's mission to raise godly kids? If it is, don't kid yourself if you're only getting them here once or twice a month. Is this on? Don't, don't kid yourself if you think that, that you're raising godly kids if you're, they're only getting here once or twice a month. Get them here. Make it a priority. Uh, whenever there's one thing that conflicts with another, you teach your kids what the priorities are. And I'm not saying that, that, like, 
like, oh, you know, church always wins. But if church never wins, what kind of priority do you think they're going to make church or Jesus in their life? You show them how to live. So I want to help you find this point right here. What is the rallying point for your marriage? Here's a way to find it. You think about your common mission or your common enemy. Your common mission or your common enemy. A common mission and a common enemy. Those two things are always what is used when people rally together. A common mission is things that you both love. A common enemy is things that you both hate. Let me explain that one. I'll help you get it just a little bit more. Like at work, you may have a coworker that like you and three other people, three buddies, like you and three buddies kind of hate that guy. And then you all get a different boss and you all hate that boss together. And that guy that you didn't like now is joining you in the hate off a boss. You know what I'm saying? Don't be so holy. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? You find unity in the fact that you hate the guy. Yeah, you know what I mean? It shouldn't be that way. Okay. But it is, I get it. So ask yourself, ask your spouse, what do we both righteously love and what do we both righteously hate? Maybe you both righteously hate feeling alone or abandoned. Maybe God wants, maybe God brought you together so you can serve together on the guest experience team so that when somebody walks in here, they never feel alone or abandoned. You get what I'm saying when I talk about the righteous, the righteously hate something? You can have a common enemy. The enemy would be abandonment. Maybe you both hate debt because you used to be in debt, but you got out of debt and you hate the idea of debt bondage being on people or God's, God's people. Maybe God wants you to help other couples get out of that debt like you have. Maybe you both hate the idea that there's a lot of kids in our community that don't have a home or a family that loves them. Maybe God's calling you to start a foster home or to even adopt. You know these things because of a common uh, mission and a common enemy. You don't have to start a 501c3. It doesn't even have to be big. It just needs to be together. And it also does not mean that you're the same. My wife and I serve in different ways all the time. But if it's on her heart, it's on my heart. And if it's on my heart, it's on her heart. Because we are united. When she has a group, I am taking care of the kids. I just know it. We put it on the calendar, and I know that I can't do anything else. I can't have any other meeting because my meeting that night is to make sure our kids are out of Lena's hair and vice versa. If I'm doing something in the evening, she knows. She puts it on the calendar. Her job is to make sure that our kids are okay. And it's not 50-50. No marriage ever is. A marriage is never 50-50. There's days I come home and all I got is 10% left. And she picks up the other 90 or the other way around. I urge you, don't evolve into roommates. Don't just have a sex life. Do something to make a difference. God brought you together so you can make out and then face out. And that's what marriage is about. You can serve Jesus better together. Would you stand with me? When I started working on this, I realized pretty quickly that the word united and the word untied are really, really similar. They're really close to the same word. The only difference is the position of I. If I 
is in the wrong spot, united becomes untied. Paul told married couples this, Ephesians 5.21. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's not submit, submit, submit. We submit to one another. Because when I am in the right place, united stays united. When I am in the wrong place, my marriage is untied. This requires great humility on our part, church. Each of you. We should be living a life of humility. Lord, I pray that you would bring us down to where we belong. I pray we would love our spouse, cherish them, keep them, protect them. I pray that you would stir up a desire in even the singles, Lord, to live a life of humility and a life of being driven to mission for you, God. You allow us to live on this earth, single or married, so we can bless the people that you love. Lord, I pray we would carry this with us deep in our hearts. So Lord, today we lay down our pride and we lay down our own desires and we pick up your desires. We want to be what you want us to be. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.